0: All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts, his acts being seven ages. This is a quote from Shakespeare's play As You Like It, and you're listening to As We Like It, a seven part programme series that looks at each of these seven ages. In this programme, we look at the fourth stage, Soldier. Then a soldier, full of strange oaths, and bearded like the pard, jealous in honour, sudden and quick in quarrel, seeking the bubble reputation even in the cannon's mouth. This is the stage of career, and Shakespeare picks the soldier to represent this. Over the years, the military profession has evolved and changed. Shakespeare, for example, lived between 1564 and 1616 and things were probably a lot different even 250 years later in 1860 when Carlo Man Miles Keogh joined the papal army.
1: Sure, he'd be my great-great-granduncle now. He was born here where we're sitting now. He's born in this house in 1840.
0: I'm sitting with Miles Keogh's great-great-grandnephew, also named Miles Kio.
1: He went to school here in the local village here in Lachlan Bridge and we think he went to St. Patrick's in Carlo then, although we can't really verify that. But then when he was 18, he went to Rome or went to Italy to fight with the papal army. It was papal war at the time. So he went to fight for the Pope and uh, got a commission there. He maybe saw one or two engagements there and ha- actually was captured in one of those engagements and then around 1860 61, the war finished there, and then the Civil War was looming in, in America. He didn't actually make it to America at the beginning of the war, but he made it within the first year of the Civil War starting. And because he had been an officer for the Pope and had letters of recommendation, he was able to become an officer with the Union side in the Civil War.
0: And tell us about his career in, in the Union Army.
1: In the Union Army, in the Civil War, he had a brilliant career and uh, got several promotions. He ended up a, a brevet or, or colonel or something like that, you know, and it, I think he fought in over 19 engagements in the Civil War and in actual fact was captured, I mean, was a prisoner of war for a period of time, but uh, managed to get released release because he was an officer and uh, they did an officer swap or something at the time. He was lucky because I think the prison conditions during the Civil War were, supposed to be horrendous but saw an awful lot of engagements most of the big ones like Gettysburg and Fredericksburg and most of those big battles he was involved in Mm -hmm. when the civil war was finished he stayed in the army only maybe a tenth of the army were left and their next big thing then was trying to control the Indians most of the midwest and the northwest was still more or less a frontier so they were really trying to get to grips with that and was he with Custer? Was he wasn't with Custer during the Civil War. He only went with Custer after the Civil War when they were part of the 7th Cavalry and Custer was the commanding general of the 7th Cavalry. But Custer, similarly, had a, a brilliant Civil War and uh, he rose quickly up through the ranks as well, like, you know.
0: Would Miles' name be well known?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, he, he'd he be very well known there, Yes. Even at the Battle of the Little Bighorn, his horse, which was named Comanche, was the only army thing that was found on the battlefield that was still alive. But he was wounded, so even for that alone he became famous, apart from the fact that he was regarded as a very brave soldier. Mm. And tell
0: us about that Battle of
1: Little Bighorn. Well, I suppose it, it was inevitable that there was going to come to one big battle with the Indians and had been brewing for a few years, but... Um, Custer, was, who was the general, was a, a big gung-ho, I suppose he. He had his eyes on a political career and seemed to take too many risks. And certainly on that occasion, he uh, he went for glory and really walked his soldiers into the middle of a massive Indian force. and They paid dearly for the price. They were all, all of Custer's command were killed on the day within a, a short space of time because the indians just ran right over them, you know mm-hmm. custer died they that's all died custer's last that's custer's last stand yeah custer died and uh, keogh and all his other officers and men died there was other detachments further away that were also involved in the battle but um they were split up but certainly all the custer's which was about 200 of them were slaughtered within a matter of an hour, it's there, less even, you know, yeah. so it was big, big news at the time, still is, I suppose, yeah.
0: And Miles lost his life as well, do yeah. we know what happened? Or?
1: Well, actually, I've been to the, to the battlefield, most of the markers where the soldiers fell seemed to be scattered, it seemed to be a bit of a rout, but in actual fact, where Kyo fell, there seemed to be a group, so they seemed to make some bit of a stand, but in general, it seemed to be a bit of a rout, mm-hmm. and everything appeared to be in disarray you could see no big groups of soldiers in the one spot like it was a bit of a bit of a scatter i think a bit of a scatter and run um,
0: and yeah. do we know much about the horse
1: he was famous after that i mean the army kept him for a mascot and i think he lived in the 1890s the battle was in 1876 and i think the horse lived for another 16 or 20 years and was treated like royalty and brought out for all the military parades and and eventually when he did die he was stuffed and he's in one of the universities, I think it's the University of Kansas for one of those that he's still there to be seen. Not looking very splendid, I might add, but he's still there, anyway. <laughs> And Does an army
0: career still run in the family in the Keogh
1: family? Uh, no, but in actual fact, his a nephew, he's called Lyndon Keogh, also joined up in ni- around the 1900s in America, and he fought in the Cuban Wars, they call him, and uh, he didn't have a distinguished career or anything, but he did fight and fought. Plenty and got cholera and got malaria and had to be he was had to leave the army after two or three years and then I had my dad's brother joined the British Army here in, in during World War Two and he was killed in Sicily and in actual fact the original Kyo fought the Battle of the Bane and he had originally came from from somewhere up near that Garvin up in Wicklow up up the country. But because the Catholics lost the Battle of Bine he got downgraded and it ended up down here in a much smaller farm. So that's why the Kios originally came to this area.
0: And would you be proud of him, proud of Miles?
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, he had a great career. I mean, if you went to, to the battlefield now, it probably wouldn't be considered, I don't know, PC to be talking about the army fighting the Indians. It's more about the Indians now. But, I mean, they were just soldiers doing their job and had to do what they did and he seemed to be in this brave he I mean the, before they went on the campaign his last campaign oh, most of the officers took out life insurance policies they, they had a very bad feeling about Custer or about what, what might have happened you know so the were experienced guys now they they knew the dangers that we're getting into. And I mean, uh, to fight in 90 battles in the course of two or three years, that's an awful lot of fighting. And to come over without any injuries, I, I don't know. That seems amazing. And in actual fact, in one of his other letters to Thomas Coe, he writes about another horse he had during the Civil War, a horse called Tom, that had been out on patrol or something, and the horse had shied. He had sensed that there was something and uh, he turned the horse and as he turned the horse he could see confederate soldiers maybe only 200 100 yards ahead but the horse had already smelt him or sensed them, and he he was more praiseworthy of the, that horse than he was of Comanche the horse that that was at uh, the little horn with him
0: and do we know much about him about his personality
1: Uh his personality you'd see several people writing him that he could be a bit depressive maybe it's betimes times and melancholy was, was a word that was often the way he was described but I think uh, the army life was uh, especially after the civil war the army life was a very boring life they were out on the frontiers supposedly fighting Indians and whatever but I think the biggest problem was they had very little to do for long long periods of time So I I actually I know that drink was a problem for many of them, soldiers and officers, because they had nothing else to do really for periods of time during the winters.
0: Such a personality description could fit in with Shakespeare's description of the character of the soldier, who, he says, seeks the bubble reputation even in the cannon's mouth. At this stage, ambition and reputation is important, even if it puts the person at risk. Careers can run in families. As Miles discovered, army life is threaded through the history of his family. Captain Kieran Brennan, for example, who is based in the James Stevens barracks, comes from such a stock.
2: There's a huge family connection. Um, serving at the moment, my father is serving, he's the Deputy Chief of Staff. There's myself, uh, my brother is a, a captain as well, Shane. I have a first cousin who's a, a left hand, I have a, a first cousin who's a private here in the barracks, and two of my uncles have recently retired, or one recently retired, Canis, and Garod retired a number of years ago. So it is very much a, a family connection. Funnily enough, the questions posed an awful lot was, was the pressure put on you to join or the likes? And very much the opposite. I feel if the pressure had come on, I most likely would have went to different avenues. So we are very much, we do our own thing and we're allowed to do our own thing by each other. It's a very, very enjoyable, enjoyable career. I joined the military in 2004. I did my leaving search in St. Kieran's College in Kilkenny and I decided I wanted to enter the cadetship competition that year. So I, I competed through interview and the likes and I was successful and I commenced my training in October 2004. At the time, the training was 21 months, so I was, I was in the cadet school in the, in the Curra in County Kildare for my initial cadet training and from there I was commissioned to Cork, Collins Barracks in Cork. 2006, and had held various appointments across the the Defence Forces since then.
0: Over the course of his training, Kieran, like all soldiers, was confronted with the cornerstone of military competence and one of the more important tasks of this life stage, discipline.
2: It really is the, the cornerstone of most military life, no matter where you're from or what era you're in. Maybe you might wonder, as, as a young 18-year-old civilian, why do I have to be there at five minutes to seven in the morning? Why do I have to have my room immaculately clean? What's that got to do with, with soldiering skills? But in reality, what it means, first of all, is that a dependable soldier is formed. And then, obviously, a lot of our work is done at home, but also overseas. So you have to have the the ability just to be disciplined if you're working in, say, Africa or the Middle East, to be able to carry out all of your, your functions. And that comes from the basis of being able to keep your, your your kit clean and tidy, keeping your room clean and tidy, and being on time. So it's just, I suppose, the cornerstone of all discipline is really to, all of us have to be able to do what we're told in order to, to complete a particular task.
0: And what are the challenges for young people nowadays, like as they join the military?
2: I, I would say that the hardest part I, I would have had myself is if you're an 18-year-old boy or girl or man or woman, Your decision is, am I going to go to college or am I going to have a trade? Am I going to work in the shop? Um, I can go out for my dinner on Thursday night with my friends if I want, or a Tuesday night, go to the cinema. But for the the young individual who joins the military life, that's not there. You you don't have that freedom in your military training. For an 18-year-old or 19-year-old or whatever age you are, that's quite a significant decision to make, to enter into this particular lifestyle. And don't get me wrong, it's very rewarding in the end, but it can be quite testing at the start. Some people who enter training may have young kids at home, you know, so it's these challenges present themselves. So that's possibly a a, a testing area for a civilian looking to become a recruit or a cadet. Some of the times in training and some of the times in work, um you just you just kind of have to get on and do your work, and if if you're being told by your commanding officer to do a task that might be on a Saturday and Sunday when you had plans, you just do it. That's just the way the way the military works. I refer back to Storm Emma where I, I missed a friend's uh, wedding because of I we were just working uh, needs must. So discipline is actually a huge thing, where when the need arises that you just drop what you're doing and you you get on with work. Uh, so with that discipline and loyalty, again, um, that you're, you're, you're loyal to, to your task.
0: Though Soldier is the title of this life stage, a military career is just one option in a huge range of career choices that young 18 or 19-year-olds must decide upon once they reach Leaving Cert. Thank goodness then for guidance counsellors like Gemma Lawler, who works in Tyndall College, Carlow. She is well used to the figures of career decision-making.
3: I would be far more comfortable with a student coming to me in sixth year saying, I really don't know what I want to do, than a student coming to me and saying, I am going to be a pilot uh, in third year. And they don't look left nor right, they are going to be a pilot. Because I, what tends to happen is the Leaving Cert results come out, and the next week they say, actually, no, I'm going to be a dress designer, and I haven't applied. Uh, there can be a huge swing within a couple of months of what they thought they wanted to do and now it changes. The Irish education system is is great in that respect because at the age of 18 or 19 a student will have seven or eight subjects at Leaving Cert, a broad education, where they haven't selected a particular career course. If they choose their subjects well after Junior Cert they will be on the path that will lead them anywhere. They haven't narrowed down their career options until after their leaving certificate and even then if they can afford it I would say don't narrow down your career options until you've finished a primary degree because really we're going to the American system where a primary degree is just the foundation or your introduction to college and then you become whatever it is you're going to become.
0: I speak to some students who attend Skullmurra in Johnstown, County Kilkenny. Though in fourth year and with two years to their leaving cert, they are already concerned by subject choice and career pathways.
4: Some of like, the subjects are like kind of like boring and like to kinda of, like, get on your nerves. But like some other ones that like are actually find interesting can be like helpful in your life and like show you like a path, like what you want to do, like when you're older as a job or a college.
0: And have you any ideas of what you'd like to do? Uh
4: no, something with music, like a sound technician or something like that, like a studio yeah. something around that.
2: When you start like secondary school, like kind of starts the path, the path that you're going to take to, to the future, and like um, as I said, some subjects are pretty boring. Some subjects that you'll find are actually rather interesting. Like um, I like history. Like actually, I find some certain topics in um, history very interesting, and uh, I wouldn't actually mind um maybe teaching in the future because I just find certain topics um, I don't know World War Two I found was very interesting. Mm. You're talking about subjects and stuff like that that you have to pick, that you have to know what you're doing. And you, let's say, if you want to do this subject, then you're going to have to be this. <coughs> it's like, if you want to be a social worker, you have to have this subject, so you have to have this amount of points and it's all just like all this pressure's on you and you don't know like, what to do. It's like yeah, I know I have to put my head down and study but it's like picking the right subjects for what you want, And you could change your mind then halfway through it. And then starting a course then when you get to college and then realising you don't want to do it but then you don't have the subjects that you need for your other course that you want like the points for some things like are just
5: absolutely ridiculous nursing like for nursing like for general and paediatric nursing integrated it's like 400 I think it would be like 478 points or something like that it's massive like like there could be people out there like it could be something that they've always wanted to do but like they might never like get them like. and fair enough yeah there's a backdoor into everything but like to stay on and do a PLC course when all your friends are going to college like do you know what I mean like but like you bonded with them so much throughout school and you have to leave them just because you didn't get the points for your course like yeah. it is a bit much to ask like of
2: people I don't know because yeah, you'll end up settling for something that you don't actually want to do mm-hmm. but like Jesus. Yeah, just so you're
4: in college with your friends, like I think it's harder now because um, it's all based on going and getting your education, making sure that you're in school, and for a job that's nursing or teaching, it's that like you have to have like all your points and you have to study for so long and then you get into it. I feel like it's harder nowadays than it was back then. Like my grandmother, she was a nurse and she was doing it on the job. She was learning in the hospital. She did some study in one week and then it was two weeks of like actually doing stuff and getting to know patients. But now it's just, it's all like it's the cost of everything as well. It's cost getting your education. Some people can't afford it. It's just, it can be a bit harder now.
0: At Tenney Park Nursing Home in Kilkenny, Mary, a former nurse now in her 80s, recalled her career path.
4: I worked at one time in St Joseph's Laundry, marking clothes. They came in in bags, and we marked them, and they went into the wash. I didn't stay long at that, and when I was old enough, then I went to St Kenneth's to do nursing. That was St Kenneth's Hospital, and. Uh, I did all right with that and got through. I like people.
0: And um, I'd say the studying was hard, was it in St. Canada? It was hard
4: enough because you didn't get an awful lot of tutors, so very few.
0: Mm. And did you nurse then?
4: I went on then, I did, I, I finished that and I went on then to do general nursing.
0: How long did you spend nursing then?
4: Well, I finished my time nursing and got my exams. And I came out, came home then, because I had two children.
0: So you must have met a man then to have two children. Yes, I, did. <laughs> I met a,
4: a great man. That's him over there.
0: And how did you meet him then?
4: In Saint Kenneth's, he was a nurse.
0: And it was a big change, I'd say, to get married. Was it?
4: Oh Lord, yes, because I had nothing to do then. Well, I was out of work. I couldn't. We couldn't go back to work.
0: Th- did that annoy you?
4: Uh-huh. It didn't annoy me, yes.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, it's not fair. They're fighting for them now, aren't they, to go back to work?
0: Mm-hmm. But you want to give it up almost
4: immediately, wasn't almost it? Almost immediately. You, you know, you're working, and then you're not working.
0: And did you like I your you know? nursing?
4: I did. I love my nursing. I loved it. That was one part of my life I really enjoyed.
0: Most women in their 70s and upwards would have had the same experience as Mary. It's such a contrast to today, where not only do women remain working once married, but also follow the trend of career hopping, as Gemma Lawler explains.
3: Careers are changing. As you get into adulthood, it is suggested that we will probably change our careers every seven years. Like, you know, when I grow up, I'm going to be a teacher or when I grow up, I'm going to be That doesn't work anymore. I think that's the way companies are hiring and the, the world is changing so fast that you have to build a portfolio of skills and qualities and qualifications and people get bored and there is the uh, availability to change or adapt careers and uh, life gets, you know, interferes with what we're doing um, and I think rather than saying when I grow up I'm going to be a nurse you're saying oh, I'm going to go into the medical field. And you might change after seven years and you might go to dietitian and then you might go into yoga and then you might go into, I don't know, something else. But, you know, that is the pattern that and, and companies are going to hire on contract from now on. There's going to be no such thing as a permanent pension position. In fact, I think most of my students wouldn't know what, what, it, what it is because it's a historical thing, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't think is any bad thing.
0: And why do you think that? For the health of the system in general?
3: For the health of the person in general. From the whole aspect of lifelong learning. We are developing human beings. You do not finish your education with your leaving certificate or with your degree. You remain a much healthier person if you're constantly evolving. And developing and adapting to your new situation. Whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. So I think if you get stuck, like I did, in teaching. You know, you're less likely to try new things and develop and find, find yourself. And you don't just find yourself at 17. You might be 37 or you might be 57 and there's lots more th- things to do and lots more life to be lived. Um, so I think it's actually a good thing.
0: It's with this outlook that 94-year-old Monica, a resident
6: in Tenny Park Nursing Home, approached her career. I started off in a solicitor's office. I had done a course, like shortened typing and that. And uh, I, was, I was asked to you know would I fill in like for somebody. So I did and I liked it there for a while. And then I went to Dublin and I was doing secretarial work for a medical firm, dealing with hospitals and consultants and that kind of stuff, and that was very interesting. People would would come in and they were in trouble technically in their x-ray room or whatever, and we used to supply them with the engineers and that, you know. So when I was married, I was married and that was my work. When the children were reared and they were okay and and, um, when we came into town into Kilkenny uh, I said what am I going to do so I went anyway and I kind of sold myself if you know what I mean that's how I got into the boutiques Avonmore all those kind of stuff that's you, how I you got
0: you worked in
6: Avonmore as well. I did uh, on, on the switchboard that I did know one thing about I never saw a switchboard in my life I was like <laughs> I got you so I I was stuck in the middle of it. So I had to, you know, to think when you have to do a thing. So I got used to that then, and that was okay. I was there for about 12 months, I suppose, Mm -hmm. at that time. And then they were having a, a, what they called it? I wasn't in the union. So then I had to go. And uh, I was in a few boutiques, like, you know. I went in for one day. At least I went in for a week. And uh, I said, I don't know how how I like it and I was there for seven years hmm. so it was very interesting I always "God, oh, I'd love to work in the boutique and I'd love to do this and, and I got them all in
0: you did it I
6: all I did I did it all truthfully now you know so uh, it was challenging that's what I wanted to challenge and it was, it was great
0: you kind of knew that there was things that you hadn't done yeah they
6: hadn't done yeah and exactly do and them. I wanted to do them yeah I love all these challenges
0: Life is all about challenges, and in nature we can see the reflection of our own life's challenges and life stages. For Druid Emer Burke, the celebration of Beltane, the first day of summer, offers an opportunity to contemplate on the soldier
7: aspect of our lives. You have the soldier there, that's the strong person, that's the protector. And that we protect ourselves, maybe the soldier within ourselves or the guard protects ourselves. We are adult uh, we are competent, independent. We have our own autonomy. We have agency over our lives, and Bialyna gives us that sense of agency: is that we can do things, we can conceive things, we can create things. And I think we all need that in our lives. That we're coming out of adolescence, where I still need my parents, although I'm trying to be independent and I'm still insecure. And then you reach your adult phase. This is all ideal, of course, because you still get very. We all are insecure at times, but that we do have a sense of agency over our lives, mm. and. Light is very important, particularly at this end part of the world where we, you know, have a cycle of light and dark. And light does affect people. So when the days are getting longer and brighter, that gives us a huge surge of energy and hope and confidence. Uh, I'm affected by light. I mean, I don't suffer from sad or anything, but I, I always know when the sun shines after dark, it brings me up. I'm not aware of having gone down. But I can get this huge surge of energy, even in winter when it's a clear day and the sun is shining. So I think this is all related to that, the light and the growth in the landscape, having a resonance with us as human beings in our adult form, having agency over our lives, Mm. being strong. Mm. And of course, if you're planting your ideas, what do I want to become as an adult? What career do I want to forge? Um,
0: That is this time. And, echoing guidance counsellor Gemma Lawler earlier, Ema recognises our constant reinventions through observing the cycles of nature.
7: There is a cycle, a constant cycle of life, death and rebirth. It's never in a straight line. And that you surrender to that and go with it rather than fight it. Mm -hmm. And when you can do that, then you find that each of the seasons has its own magic that you can engage with. Obviously you'll have times that you prefer over others, but that it's... About engaging with what is rather than fighting with it. Yeah. Abraham Maslow he talks about our hierarchy of needs. So our basic needs are food and water, and then we've shelter and security and belongingness and uh, esteem of others and our self-esteem and self-actualization. And you can never stay self-actualized. You can never stay at a peak. You burn yourself out. So you drop, but you can go up and down. And I think it's nice. You can have many peaks in your career or whatever it is. So I don't think you just get one shot at it. Luckily, I remember the summer solstice comes around every year so you, can, you have an opportunity and this is what's really nice because it's not linear is that you have a chance to renew or review and tweak and change whatever's happening to your life as you keep looking at it. Mm-hmm. There's that balance between I'm content and I need to continue growing and I'm content and I'm very grateful for what I have mm. but that you don't stop maybe we're always seeking to know or to gain wisdom depends on what you're looking for if you're trying to accumulate money i don't know if you're looking for wisdom or looking for knowledge or deepening a connection with the land that's an ongoing process you never get there mm-hmm. and that's part of the journey mm-hmm. rather than i'm failed i haven't i'm not wise enough that's I never like that where you can fail not having enough money if that's what your quest is
0: While some people chop and change careers over the course of their lifetime, others seem to be born into their job. And the changes that they witness within that job provide sufficient learning experiences. Farming, for example, comes to mind. And here's just some of the recollections of retired Kilkenny farmer, Victor Hennessy.
5: I farmed all my life, yeah. My brother and myself.
0: And what did you have? Was it a dairy farm or a tillage
5: farm? Well, it was all mixed farming in those days. You had about 18 or 20 cows which was considered a very big herd in those days. All milked by hand.
0: And what was it like milking by hand?
5: It wasn't very nice, especially during the real warm weather. Mm. The cows would be very warm, and you'd be sitting under the cows milking them. And um, some of the cows mightn't be very nice to you either. You could get a kick, so you could, yeah, handy yeah. enough. That was all right, So sure, we got through it. And we had to tillage of dry stock then after that, and sheep. Farming was very mixed in those days, yeah.
0: And you you had the horses?
5: All horses. There were six horses on the farm. Irish draft horses? Uh, Irish draft horses, yeah. Clydesdale were very common in those days but they weren't very suitable for farming. They had very big feet and they did hard with their feet on on the soil. A good Irish draft horse was was great but they weren't cheap to buy, they were hard enough for us to get.
0: And then the tractors came in, that must have been a big deal.
5: The tractors didn't come in until about the end of the war. There was another one that had an old tractor. at the start of the war. Mm. and not farmer but The tractors came in about 1945. We had a force in major that helped a bit. Well then there was only hot spade lugs. There was no rubbers on it. There was no peak pitch hitch or anything like that. Or no 3 fine linkage behind. It was very basic.
0: So you've seen many changes on the farm then? I did, of course, yeah. What was
5: the biggest one? That was the biggest one.
0: With the farming then, did the farm change over the years? Like,
4: did it evolve? Ah, sure it did, it did, it did,
5: it did. We eventually got out of sheep. We got a of trouble with sheep. They get foot rotting, get maggots. And the maggots would eat the sheep. They were telling blue bottles. Yeah. Blue bottles were, were flies. And they laid their eggs on, on the sheep. And the eggs would hatch out. And they eat, to literally eat the sheep. You'd want to be very careful that put three on them. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of
0: minding then on the a sheep. A lot of
5: minding yeah. on, on the sheep, yeah.
0: And did, were you always interested in farming? i like, well, sure
5: was, was, I was. I didn't want to do anything else, no.
0: And what do you think of farming nowadays?
5: Well, sure, there's great money in the cows, but it's trouble a lot of work. My son never went in for cows. He probably was never reared to cows in any case. The farm was a bit fragmented. My son has suckler cows, I had, I had suckler cows, yeah. Yeah, yeah so it went on. That's was good one in, in those days in growing wheat. But then it, farmers grew too much, and they cut back the price of wheat. But then when machinery got more plentiful, the combines came in then, of course. Yeah. We got the combine in 19.50. A Massey Harris Combine, a self come combine. You
0: didn't know yourself then, I'd say? Well, it was a help
5: on you. But it, there was no tankers on the combines in those days. It only put it in into bags, into sacks. And the sacks were thrown out on the field. And it was a big job then to get the sacks up off the field, up into a trailer and bring them into town. That wasn't an easy job, And that's the job that I had. I knew a plenty of work, so I did and there was no spray or in those days, of course, either. It's very hard to keep the crops clean.
0: But probably much more healthier than now. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Would you agree? He- he- healthy is the operative word, I suppose, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you're down on your knees, thinning the weed and beet, call that he- healthy, not, I don't know. <laughs>
0: I don't know either, but one thing is for sure, there is a healthy choice of options for young people as they set sail on their career path. Gemma Lawler from Tyndall College.
3: We have a full range of students who come to this school and a full range of families. So there's a full range of options after the leaving certificate. We're particularly lucky in Carlow in this region that we have a fabulous IT and we have a a College of Further Education as well. there's a huge range of what they what they want to do. We have some students who go to UCAS, who go to, to England to study. Um, we have some students who, who have aspirations to go further afield, like um, Budapest or the States. Now, they may not actually do it because of financial constraints, but they want to explore those areas. Apprenticeships are the new thing. And it's so important that we look at the value of apprenticeships. Apprenticeships. Um, we were at a conference recently where they were saying there was a, a turnaround of of a hundred and fifty thousand. So if a student one student goes on and does mechanical engineering in college and another student gets a mechanical apprenticeship, the difference in cost altogether is hundred and fifty thousand so the the student who does the apprenticeship comes out with a level six or possibly a level 7, which is the equivalent of an ordinary degree after four years. And the student who goes to college has a level 7 degree, but it's cost him, say, the equivalent of 70,000. And the young fellow who took, or the young lady who took the mechanical has been earning and is now going to start to earn at full full wage. Um, apprenticeships are really, really important. And if you look at your Europe, that there is a strong emphasis put on it and a very high value put on it. Mm. And I think in Ireland there's been a tradition of, oh, you know. But that is changing rapidly, mm. rapidly. And it really is an area that I encourage young people to look at. Mm. On the job training, you're taking responsibility from day one, but you're also being trained to a very, very high standard. Um, you go get to co- go to college two or three, t- two times a year at least. And then you come out with your internationally highly recognised qualification. It's important
0: to note that this soldier stage is not just thrust upon us, there is an innate instinct within us to work to survive. Mark Redmond is a psychotherapist in Kilkenny.
8: There is the drive from one's nature. The DNA is ultimately striving for survival, survival of the species. So something very instinctual is coming forward to survive. So nowadays, yeah, the modern form of that is, is having jobs to provide security a person can be quite industrious in this phase of life a person really has got a lot of energy to get on and then do things great things can be achieved we've got the energy to do it of course as well we're, we're young and we're strong and can work all hours God gives a um, person is not really troubled by it they've got that desire that um, drive is there to do that a person might complain on Monday morning oh God I've got to go to work <laughs> after a long weekend but, but um yeah, they want things in life and so they're, you know, quite willing to work for it. You know, through recessionary times, it's very hard for young people in those ages when they they can't work. There's nothing there for them, where immigration is the only possibility.
0: And to lose one's job or to be made redundant, that, that's a huge blow.
8: That is a massive blow for people, especially in, in, when times are harder, when it, the, the options of getting another job are, are limited. It's very hard. Because with that, you know, goes the whole sense of security. You know, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, a fundamental need that we have is, you know, to have um, food and shelter. And if that's threatened, then our higher needs are not as important. If, from a psychological perspective, the person's identity is very much tied up in what they do, then not only have they lost their jobs, but they've lost their identity. And that's a terrible crisis. A person is left in an awful void of despair. Well, who the hell am I now? It's very hard. there be a lot of anxiety and depression and loss, everything in, in that.
0: generation ago, people would have stayed in the jobs that they would have started in and, and stayed there for the 40 or 50 years. Now careers tend to be more fluid. People have the options of... And the choice t- to move even between very diverse jobs, there's a change in that, isn't there?
8: The options are there now they were not there in the past. The person did not have the option to the luxury of being say, "Oh, I don't like this job anymore. I'll change to the other." It, that that wasn't there. Are there advantages, disadvantages? You know, it's just the way things were. Really, it's um, you know psychologically, if if the options are not there then you have to come to terms with your own frustration in that because that's just the reality, that's the way things are. And if the options are there but you're you're willing to take them, well then take them, but if you're not, then you have to deal with the the frustration of that within yourself. The advantages certainly with more options is, well, you have more options to really fulfill yourself. And that's not just a in, a, in a materialistic way, but also something fulfilling for the soul, as it were.
0: The majority of people when they get employment will end up working for somebody or for a company. And with this comes perhaps personality clashes or group dynamics that can at times be challenging. Would that be the case?
8: Certainly, yeah. There are, of course, many jobs where people are self-employed and they work alone. But even in that, they are dealing with customers. So. But let's say in a work environment you're working with colleagues, that certainly brings um, group dynamics into play. And then archetypal forces are at work. So there's all sorts of characters and roles start to form. It can be quickly established in a group dynamic. Um, You're going to get tricksters and, and, and rescuers and saboteurs and kings and queens and... You know, kings can be pleasant rulers also can be quite tyrannical and you know can bully people you know there's a lot of bullying in the workplace but um, the work environment is a very um, strange place because where in one position one person might struggle another person could thrive and be very creative um, so it's very really hard to make any general statement about the work environment but um, I suppose from a systems theory perspective we as, as humans are not great at, at working together. We we might think we're we're very intelligent, but I think it goes to show how we take care of our environment that we're actually not that great. I mean, ants work much better together. Bees work much better better together. They they we would consider them much smaller, but at a higher order at a community level, they're much much more efficient. I mean, look at what's going on in an ant colony. It's amazing.
0: Because it's all for a, the greater good of the colony.
8: Of the colony, of, of the species ant, yeah. We as humans were not great at looking at the collective really. Because we, for example, we know now we're not living sustainably. Yet we, we go on with reckless abandon carrying on as before, accelerating it, if anything. But um, why do the ants work work better than us humans in, in, cis- in a higher order? The collective... Um I, I don't know, it's a massive question. Maybe it's because corporations international corporations have more rights than individuals.
0: Um people can hide behind the masks of their roles as well. Is that the case?
8: Very much so, yeah. We um I mean it's how many times have we rang telephone helplines and just hear, well that's the procedure. You have to stick to procedure and you know, workplaces have become very fragmented and, and and specialized, and there's set procedures in a lot of companies that the people are really they're not allowed to use their own autonomy and initiative. They have to stick to the rules. Then it's also very easy to hide behind those rules and procedures. I suppose in in that early phase in in working, a person could soldier on to try prove their worth in in what they're actually doing, whereas you know and later in life one sees one's worth really comes from who they are on the inside an external striving will never fulfill an internal yearning
3: we do what we like and what we like we're good at but maybe as adults sometimes we don't take that time to reflect if people have the opportunity you have to follow your heart you get one life And you don't want to look back in 10 years time or 20 years time and say, I wish I had. Mm. And it is very scary. I mean, the older you get, the more scary it is. But I think it's wonderful to see people going and taking opportunities, chances to completely change and say, this is where I have resonance. This is where I am happy. And go for it. Mm. Go for it. You know, what what scares me sometimes is when I hear young people saying, "Um, I'm going to be A because it pays this you know or no, no I can get my uncle can get me a job here and it pays an awful lot and you know I'm going to be earning this amount And I said but would you be happy oh yeah no if I get paid that amount I'd be very happy And it I say okay but if you don't really enjoy what you're doing it doesn't matter how much you get paid in fact you probably will get paid less because you probably won't be that good at it So you probably won't get the jobs. Uh, Whereas if you focus on yourself and if you focus on your personality and what fits with you, just like in school, if you're happy in school, you do your best and you'll do very well. Mm -hmm. Same in a job. If you love what you're doing. And hopefully you wake up on a Thursday morning, whatever it is, and say, I can't believe they're paying me to do this. Then you're in the right job and then you will be paid very much. It makes sense, but I I worry when students look at the money, the full stop is the money, Mm. but it shouldn't be. They really have to look at their own personalities Mm. and their goals and what makes them happy and what gives them a feeling of success.
0: It's hard, though, when it's hard at that age not to be distracted by the the golden pot, isn't it? And yeah, you look it, at the you know.
3: lifestyles, you look at, you know, if you're on digital media all the time, you're looking at the Kardashians, you're looking at, you know, Conor McGregor and, you know, all the things that they have. And, you know, we do want what other people have. And, you know, Coca-Cola is an example, you know you know, in Africa or in very, very poor communities, you will see Coca-Cola bottles all over the place and people can't afford them. But it's the same for us, just because we see social media, we want the the trappings of it, we want the the brands, Mm. but they don't ultimately make us happy. Mm. When we contribute to society, when we have our own personal goals, when we are fulfilling those needs within ourselves, then we are happy.
0: And we're happy when we grow, yet there's no growth without change, and so we move on to the next programme, which looks at Shakespeare's fifth act, Midlife, or Justice. And then the Justice, in fair round belly with full capon lined, with eyes severe and beard of formal cut, full of wise saws and modern instances. And so he plays his part. Casey. As We Like It was produced by Monica Hayes and made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee.